Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number 15. Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show. Live from Colorado, here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What's going on, Doug? Hey, Rick, it's good to be with you tonight. Thanks for uh, having me back here. It's just always nice to, to talk with you and interview a guest. And uh, it's been a busy, busy springtime, you know? We've been away. Our, our listeners probably have noticed that we've been out doing some vacationing, doing some house repair work, you know, around the house, getting the yards ready for summertime. So it's good to be back. Yeah, it sure is. It, yeah, we went to Disney World. That was kind of fun. Never uh, been there before, so pretty impressed. And then Universal Studios, and then one day at the beach. Uh, that was really nice. A quick trip. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, getting that rehab I was working on, getting it, uh, finding the right tenants, and found a couple of great tenants to live there. Yeah, totally. Just kind of focused in on going across the finish line. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been doing uh, a remodel of my powder room here at the house it was uh, the only room we haven't done anything with since we moved in 17 years ago and we painted it but uh, that's it it still had those awful crystal looking knobs on the vanity on the, the sink <laughs> i hate those things man like hang it from the ceiling and play some stevie wonder or something <laughs> well with you know how much our houses are worth now with all the appreciation going on you know we got to update them a little bit right yeah yeah exactly exactly that's fun to do, you know. Being in uh, being in sales, you know, you start every month at zero, no matter how much you did the month before. But when you finish a bathroom, you finish it in the beginning of the next month. It's still finished, so it's really nice, <laughs> really nice to be able to go back and look at your work and say, "Wow, this is still there." So it's it's fun. I enjoy the work. Very good. All right, hey, do you have a quote of the week? Yes, I like this. I just uh, I just found this here recently. It's from John Wooden, but he says, and I've said this for a long time, just not quite as succinctly as he did, but uh, he says, things work out best for those who make the best of how things work out. We'll say that one more time. Things work out the best for those who make the best of how things work out. So I think that's great. I've been telling my son, my, my uh, older son, he's worried about the future and what if I do this or what if I do that? And I always tell them it's every decision is a good decision and a bad decision. It just depends on what you do with it. So, you know, if, if it doesn't turn out to be what you want it to be, do the best you can with it and things will, will go well. And, and if you decide not to do that, then they'll probably work against you. That's a great quote. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Kind of like the, the quote, what, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Works out real well if you like lemonade, you know? <laughs> All right. So uh, Kim Wise, she's our guest for the day. What do you think? Yeah, what, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I've noticed about uh, these interviews and the people that we've interviewed is that people really have some interesting insights into things and you just don't know who they're going to be. You know, you don't know what, what somebody's been through. You don't know what they know about until you start talking to them. And I think it's just so fascinating to, to interview these people. 
Kim, you know, she's a realtor and she's been around. She's done a lot of things. She's got a lot of, lot to offer. And I think that uh, as we listen to her, we kind of got some insight as to the experiences and, and the things that she's done. And I think, I just think it's really fun to listen to that and to find out who these people are. So yeah, Kim was a great guest, interesting person, realtor, investor, flipper, chemist, gardener. I mean, come on. Yeah, like you said, it's you don't get, you don't realize how deep people are in their experiences until you get them on a show like this where you can ask them questions. Right, right, exactly. All right. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Kim Wise. All right. Today on Secret Sauce for Success, we have a special guest with us, Kim Wise. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm glad to have you, Kim. Thank you. Kim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a mother of three grown children. I have seven grandchildren. That's one of the big places I define myself in my life. I started in the real estate business in, in 2007. My children were grown and I had committed my life to being a stay-at-home mom. When they were raised, I kind of lost a little bit of like my footing, I think, and thought, well, what am I going to do now? So I looked into a real estate license and it's just kind of crazy how this has come to be a huge place in my life. And it's just, it's really fulfilled me. So that's my story. I'm, I'm a small town girl from Oklahoma. I've been in Colorado since 1991. I came in in 2007, 2008 as the market tanked. So that was a very good time for me to come into the business because I had to learn the business and I felt like I got some good training and Started pestering all the people I know. And before you knew it, I had some people saying, oh, okay, let's see what she's got. It actually turned into a vast majority of my business for a very long time. It's turned into investing, which has been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Okay. So you're an agent with HomeSmart. Have you always been an agent with HomeSmart? No, I started out in uh, with Keller Williams. That was my first office. And I moved to HomeSmart, I don't, man, let's see, six years ago, maybe. Okay. So again, so let's go back to the beginning. So in 2007, 2008, you mm -hmm. decided to venture out and try real estate. You got your license. Uh, yes. You went to Keller Williams right away? Yes, I did. So I, I've been reading a little bit of books about uh, Keller Williams. And are, is there any difference? What do you think between HomeSmart or Keller Williams? Or uh, is there any differences in the core values or the teachings? That's a good question. So I, as myself coming as a newbie into Keller Williams, I felt like I had really good training. I, I would not say I've, I mean, I haven't had that experience with HomeSmart as far as the training goes, but the two offices, I felt like HomeSmart has been fantastic with the support they've offered brokers, the support the brokers offer, the marketing tools they offer. I really, really like HomeSmart and all that they have to offer. It's been really good. I think, yeah. you know, and I got, I was like everybody else. I didn't want to pay my cap over at Keller Williams anymore and didn't know what I was paying it for. So that's why I moved. Yeah, I agree. I, I love HomeSmart too. Okay. So you became an agent with Keller yeah. Williams and you, you said you hit some pretty good success right out of the gate. You know, I did. And it was, I know, I remember my first year, I think I sold one deal and then it was a couple, three deals. And then a couple, three years in, and I was one of the top agents and it just really fit a big part of me. I think I like all the moving parts of real estate. I like, I love the people part of it. I like problem solving. I'm very competitive by nature. 
So that sort of speaks to me wanting to get the deal done and wanting to work. And, and then I, I love the end part of it where I have a happy person at the other end. So when I first started, I, gosh, I was trying to make calls to the people that I knew. And I'll never forget when I got a call back from a person that I knew who was also a friend. He was a person that was a contractor by trade and was getting into real estate investing with flipping homes. So I started with him probably 2008 and became a listing agent. And and from there, I, I really learned that piece of the business because I was helping him acquire properties. And then I was helping him with the design of the flip of the property. And then of course, listing the property. So that was kind of an all encompassing piece of what I did. So now you're getting experience, not only in just the regular uh, person buying or selling a house, now you're doing investing or helping an investor and learning the ropes there too. Yes. And, and, you know, my primary business is really still residential, just, you know, buyers and sellers. My, my business is fed by repeat business and referrals. That's how my business is fed. So at the beginning, and so I, I bought this book. I, I'm a bigger pockets fan. And so David Green and uh, Brandon Turner. So David Green is a real estate agent and he wrote this book called Sold. Anyhow, he's going through it and talking about how to become a really good, you know, real estate agent out of the gate. And he really talks, you know, hammers the CRM. You know, what what was your kind of your secrets at the beginning? I have never bought internet leads ever. So I'll never forget my at Keller Williams, I took a course called 36123, and it was an accountability business building course. And it was pretty early on into the course. I remember coming, I'll never forget it. I came back into the meeting the next morning and I was asked how many appointments I had and I didn't, I didn't have any appointments. And then they kind of got the look of why not? And really that's all it took. So I was out there, I was networking. I was going to 24 hour fitness, passing out water bottles. I had three different neighborhoods. I knocked doors at to get business. I marketed to home seminars, home seminar, like in Highlands Ranch, they had a home buying or a home seminar where you would sell fencing and decking and materials. So I did that. I've been, you know, networking groups. I joined, I just tried all those kind of things. And that's where I really built my business. So David Green, why I'm asking about Keller Williams is he was at Keller Williams, David Green. And he was talking, one of the paragraphs, he talked about how many touches, it was a high touch and he had uh, yes. 33 touches per year yeah. for your contact, you know, for these people. Yes. And, and did you guys, and we, are, were you trying to achieve those kind of numbers? Yes. So I do, you know, I still do a monthly mailer, a monthly newsletter, just all the touches throughout the year where you try to get the word out. But they say, and that was why I liked about Keller Williams. They kind of had a formula. You could just sort of follow the formula and for the most part, it works. Okay. So that's, I guess, my last question is, yeah. does it work? Mm-hmm. It has for me. Okay. All right, Doug, do you want to jump in and ask any questions here? Well, I was wondering about that as well, as we were talking about some of those. So I'm in sales as well, securities, and do a lot of marketing and that kind of thing. In fact, I started in the mortgage business, uh, and uh, I did a lot of mixing and, and that kind of thing as well. And I just never found that it worked real well. Uh, and I'm not sure why. I, I think maybe because there's there was usually like a five or six to one ratio of mortgage brokers to everyone else of me. In sure. the, you know, whenever I would go to one of those things. But 
uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that it works for you. That's kind of what was on my mind too, but Rick beat me to it, so it's okay. Well, and I always say, I kind of think as realtors, I, I say we're like cats, we're everywhere. There's just like everywhere you turn, there's another, but you, you, I think, I really think it's relationship building. It's, it's all about providing the relationship and I'm a relationship type of person. So when I, I do remember when I used to purchase homes and had a realtor, my personality was that I was always kind of sad to end that connection at that time. So that's probably a big part of my business is connection with the people that I know and staying in touch. Since you're doing some investment work in that as well, obviously on the real estate side, uh, where the, the buying and selling side, do you take an active part in uh, considering, say, what the costs of repairs and all that kind of thing are going to be, or do you stay away from that kind of thing? Yes. So I, I again, that was a very big part of what I did with my, the main person I worked with that we flipped properties. I learned a lot from him and how you determining your cost of ownership. And then you have your vacancy rate, you have your repairs. And so that's how you determine whether that home makes a good purchase. And so I've been able to do that with other people where they come in and purchase investment properties. So I've had several people come in and purchase so yes, and that's a part of what I do because I still own rental properties and I'm now property manager for my rental properties. So I've kind of had all the different parts and pieces of it to know what it takes to keep running. So what is your formula for uh, estimating costs? I, you know, that's one area I'm just, I feel like I'm a little bit weak in. Well, you've got, you know, you've got all the costs into your mortgage, your principal interest, uh, the mortgage insurance, all those types of things. And then we used to say about a 1% vacancy rate. And I use tools like Rentometer. That's one of the ones we would use to determine what a rent was in that area. And it's usually pretty accurate. But then you would come up with your, your vacancy rate. Because if you have turnover, you're going to have costs of rehabbing a home before it's back on the market. And then you put in an average. I mean, I was taught about $30 a month for each property. Honestly, from my experience, I would put in, I would probably gauge more like 70 a month, 50 to 70 a month. The other thing we did, or I've done with my rentals was two-year rentals and have never had an issue getting a two-year lease. So then you have less turnover. Okay. But I guess I was asking about the actual rehab costs. Oh, the rehab costs. Oh yeah. I learned a lot of that from him. I and he, so he was very good. And that was actually a good way that we had teamwork together because he knew without even seeing the home, the cost to be expected. So he know he knew a worst case scenario for a bathroom, for a roof, for a furnace, for drywall, those, all those types of things. And we could go in as a team. Uh, at one point I got my designation for investing with real estate, uh, investor designation. So I did that, do that. Huh. That's interesting. What's involved in that? Oh, gosh, it was quite a bit of coursework. It was actually pretty interesting. And, you know, it, you, people take all these investor courses and there's different ways that you can make money in real estate. One of them would be purchasing and owning a rental. And that's with investing in real estate. One of them could be contractor buying and selling. So we had buy and holds, buy and sells. And then the other thing, and I've done this as well, is becoming, you call it other people's money. So you become a hard money lender for that person. And so your money is now making something, but it's a passive way of making 
income without you having to be physically involved in the rehab process. I've done, I've done that as well. Interesting. All right. Well, can you tell us about your first, your investment property? The first one? <laughs> that was an interesting one. So that was in the era where you would go to auction and purchase a home sight unseen because you weren't, weren't able to go inside the home. Yeah. So we purchased it, got over there, and it was a hoarder home. And I think it was three or four dumpsters worth of stuff. That was quite the experience because I'll never forget the things that were, that were in that home. There I was still a chicken in the oven. It was some crazy stuff. <laughs> um, I feel like at this point, I've kind of seen everything because I've seen so many investor type of properties. So how did that turn out? You bought it at an auction, then you cleaned it out, did yep. the rehab. Uh-huh. And, and did you, very you, well with it. And yes. did you keep it or sell it? That was it, that we sold that one. Okay. Yes. All right. So you, you, you tried the auction and it worked out well. Did you do another one? There were several from auction that we acquired, and then it became really difficult to acquire them at auction. But in the era that we were doing a lot of the investing, it was the, you know, a lot of bank owned properties, short sale properties. And so we were able to acquire those. So my investor retired this last year. I call him my investor, but my partner, he retired this last year. And really up until last year, we were still able to get the properties. It's really been, it's tough right now, I think, for investors. Very tough because you're competing against owner-occupied. People are needing homes left and right. And that's just, it's very tough to make the money. Sure is. And, and he went with a good, he had a good ratio. A lot of investors get tied up in a home where their ratio of what their return on the investment is not that not that high. I want to say his was about 14% ratio that he wanted to make to make it worth his while before he did that. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have that kind of a that kind of a hard number. Yes. Analyzing these things. Uh, right. question of is it so that that's a, an interesting point as well because I think um, there as a financial advisor that's the kind of work that I do. You know, I help people understand what makes a good investment for them. And whenever somebody asks me, is it a good, is something a good investment? Mm-hmm. There's always both yes and no, because it just depends on the individual. And so without an understanding of what it is that you need to get from that investment, it's hard to know whether it is a good investment or not. And so I uh, just have a couple of questions for you. Number one, uh, do you have a, a way of kind of, of analyzing that for people and helping them understand that sort of thing? And then I was going to ask you, if you have a particular area or a particular thought on where we might be going to be competitive in investments where you could find decent deals. So it's kind of two separate questions. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, as far as finding decent deals in the Denver metro area, I wish I knew the answer to that because I don't, I don't think that exists very often. Now, now I do have a, a listing under contract right now that was a great opportunity for an investor but those don't come around very often. And I was able, the, the seller contacted me and then I, I had an open house and had several people come. I put them a word out through my office and really that's how I got people in to see that home. And that's, that's a fantastic one because it's in a great location. It's in Lakewood. For a while, we were doing a lot in West Denver in those neighborhoods and got some really good homes for flipping. But that area is really starting to turn over. But you know what? We did things in City Park. We did them in Park Hill. We had, gosh, we had all over the place. So I don't think that it really matters as much as where as just your your ratios. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So did you have any other investment properties? You worked with an investor. You did some fix and flips. Yes. 
And do you have any active uh, managed rentals? I think you mentioned that. I currently have two uh, that are left. I've had purchased five and purchased them all at a really good time, had good interest rates, cash called cash flowed them very well, had pretty good success with the renters. Things happen in rentals. There, I mean, there's always something happening. So we had some kind of crazy stories, but they've all made really good money and been a very good investment. So I, and I, I think probably because of what I do for work, I'm a big believer in building wealth with real estate. I think having a solid piece of something you own versus a piece of paper is a good investment. So is there any uh, tips or tricks you use for property management? What, how do you make sure you get good tenants? Uh, any other things you do? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, the, you know, the things you have with tenants are they don't pay the utilities or they don't pay the rent or they, we, I've had one where the guy just took off and left, you know, left us with unpaid rent for a few months. So that was, that one cost some money, but for the most part, he's just do your due diligence, check on the you know credit check and limit. I'd say honestly limit people with pets with regard to pets. Small pets, yes, but having lots of pets. I had a rental where they called me once and, the, <laughs> and they called me because I was the owner. I wasn't managing at the time, but they called me and the gal said, this was a crazy story. She said she was renting the sofa in the house and there were, ra- uh, what should we say, rabbits in the house, snakes in the house. So we got over there and, and found out what was going on. Well, they were actually drawing marijuana in the house. So we had to escort them out of the house and then do a rehab on the home. But that, that was an interesting story. Wow. So I've always heard you're supposed to check on your rentals uh, once a year at least. Yes. And I, I have to say I'm not doing a very good job there. But do you try to do that? Yes. And I, and I, do, and I, do, I have a relationship with all of my renters. My renters have, know to text me at the beginning of the month with their rent receipt they deposit themselves so that key and now i just stay in the i stay in the loop with what's going on and they'll call me if they have an issue and i have a very good handyman who can cover repairs so i'm not getting i just don't get calls in the middle of the night it just doesn't happen i might need your that handyman's number here yeah (laughs) he's very good and you know and then i you know because of what i did with the investing and the flips i have knowledge of good HVAC people, painters, plumbers, electricians, all of those types of things. So you started acquiring rentals and they're just working for you. Did you have to do much rehab on them or were you able to just pick them up and rent them right away? Um, all, all of them had a rehab. And, and so there's different levels of rehabbing for rental and people look at it differently. The rentals I owned were rehabbed for top of the market rents. And so we try to keep those, or I try to keep those top of the market as far as condition. So when a renter moves out, then I try to make changes where that home is brought back up to condition where it's top of the market. Hmm. Some people look at having rentals as just letting them kind of get run into the ground. You know, at some point the the home can only take so much and then you're just really got a mess. And then they usually get rid of the home. Right, right. And you also mentioned that you hired a property manager for some of them. What was your rationale there? You know, being a property manager, you're having to say, hey, your water bill's not paid. You you know, hey, got to get the marijuana out of the house. It's just all those types of things. 
So I wouldn't say being a property manager is my end all of what I want to do in life, but I am doing that right now. But you did hire somebody though to help you, right? Mm -hmm. And they take like a 10% cut, right? Actually, we had somebody that took an 8%. So that was a really good, but yes, 10% on average. I actually owned another property in the mountains. And this is something I'm kind of interested in. I owned it and it was, it was a property to use, but it was also set up for rentals. I had a VRBO site on there and I managed the VRBO site and then had a property management company in the mountains. And boy, that worked great. Covered the cost of ownership and then made money. So a lot of times people are, if you can find a place where you can support a short-term rental, that I think right now is a good way to have an investment. And for a while, people have been doing that in Denver where they were able to build over a detached garage, an apartment, and then they were able to create a bed and breakfast or an Airbnb from that. Where was that Airbnb located at? That was in in Summit County. Very good. Yeah. And the other thing I've done, I mean, I had had an investment property in Berkeley last year that sold that had an exterior basement entrance. So that makes for a fantastic short-term rental. Or, or you can have two, two rentals out of the property. That was a good a use of that property. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart, and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylerealty at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now back to our show. So one of the questions I always, you know, it's like the market is so hot right now in Denver, right? I mean, yes, maybe even across the nation, I assume. Do you think this is a bubble? I mean, I hear people say that. I don't see any sign of it being a bubble simply because we only have, one, you know, five apples and we have 12 people that need an apple. And so that means the apple is going to go up in value until all those people get an apple. And the demand is so high. Our inventory is so incredibly low. I don't see that. I don't see that. We have a lot of out-of-state people moving to Colorado. And they are not afraid of prices. In fact, what that's doing is they're probably driving prices up. You know, with COVID, people started looking at housing differently. They started thinking about remote work and what else could they afford so they don't have to stay in large cities and small in a very, very small house. They can afford more here. So that's happening. I had an offer last night that I lost out in Superior for 120,000 over list. We lost out. And I think, I think Superior is probably one area where they're, the tech industry is growing. People are moving in from California and driving up prices. Yeah, that's right outside of Boulder there. Yes, and and yes, and I think it's just the, the demand for schools in that area, and then, you know, they're outpriced in Boulder, so of course the outlying areas. I had to laugh years ago. 
I was uh, working in a call center environment and talking with a gal on the phone who was telling me she was moving to Colorado and asked her some questions about just where, where she was going and that. And she said she was moving to Boulder. Uh, and I asked her what made her choose Boulder. And she said, wow, it's so it's really beautiful and right up against the mountains. And the prices are so reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so my, yeah. my question was, where are you coming from? Of course, San Francisco is where she was coming from. Exactly. So there you go. Yeah, where you buy a shoebox there for a million dollars. Yes. Right, exactly. So that was, I always laugh about that story, but I mean, we're living it day by day here right now. Yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah, so one of our previous guests, Nicole Ruth from Fairway Lending. Okay. Do you know her by any chance? Well, no, Fairway. I just closed one with Fairway. But yeah, her name really sounds familiar. I'm yeah, familiar. anyhow, she's a great gal. And I listen to her uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram uh, feeds, I guess. And, and she's a big proponent of real estate, of course, you know, just like us. And believes she can, you know, just get people into real estate and, you know, reach your retirement goals or whatever, just as mm -hmm. a vehicle. Anyhow, she keeps answering the, the question about, are we in a bubble? And she, she comes out with all the, the numbers, you know, she's really good. She, I don't know where she's getting all her numbers from, but very analytical and just her, I think her theory is that we're going to, as interest rates are going to start going, you know, with inflation here and interest rates. She said it's probably going to just slow down the growth yeah. of this housing market craziness. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I don't, and Denver traditionally is not one to have big ups and downs in our market. When the market tanked in 08, I mean, we definitely, we had a slowdown, but nothing compared to the coast, like Florida, California, so even, you know, Arizona, they had big drops in Arizona, but we just don't do that in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Very good. Doug, any, any other questions here? No, I was wondering about the bubble as well. Uh, just looking at some of the, the data and some of the things that are going on there, I can't imagine that we would continue with this kind of growth. It's got to be some sort of a, a stopping point for that. But with the number of people moving in and continued low interest rates, it just seems like there's no real end in sight. But it'll be interesting to see what the end looks like. Will be, and I mean, the, I, this is definitely unprecedented times in, in Colorado. Now, this this might be more normal in a California market. This is unprecedented to see this. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So, what uh, successful habits have uh, you incorporated into your life that have helped you become, uh, you know, just a successful person? By nature, I'm pretty disciplined. Just that's just my nature. And I mentioned to you earlier, I'm competitive by nature, and I've got a very persistent personality, those tools. And then I, you know, I grew up on a small part. I learned to do the right thing. I learned to treat people well. I, I live by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So that's probably the things that I've learned and have applied in my business. I'm not much of a, I'm, I'm a really bad faker kind of person. I really have a hard time with that. I just want to make somebody, whoever I'm working with, I want them to have a place on the other side of the transaction where they feel very good about what happened. Very good. Looking for a win-win. Yes. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. What kind of, of books and study in that do you enjoy or do you enjoy reading? Would you like to hear kind of the kind of books that you're interested in? Yeah, I mean, I did, you know, the Gary Keller uh, books when I first started. There's a book called, it came out a year or so ago called Atomic Habits. And that's about making a change in your life a short, a bit at a time. 
that's actually a really good book because it's not, sometimes we tend to look at making a change in our habits as being a big change. And that was more about small changes bit by bit. So that was a really good one to read. Okay, that sounds good. And then do you have any business books, any other book or real estate books? Just the, mainly the Gary Keller. I mean, I've had all his stuff. I've had Gary Keller's flip book, the buy and hold book, the millionaire real estate agent book. So those kind of were my learning curves as I got started in the business. Very good. And I'm going to back up just a little bit. Um, can you tell us about your favorite real estate deal? Oh, wow. I've had so many interesting real estate deals. Favorite as in good favorite or favorite as in... <laughs> Whatever you want, wherever you want to take us, Kim. Ah, gosh. <laughs> uh, favorite real estate deal. That's a good question. I mean, I've got one right now that's pretty unique. I've got a, a listing under contract that I think I mentioned to you all that's a good investment property. What This was a new one for me, but we're dealing with meth in the home. And so we had to go back and regroup and find out what did that look like. And that's been something that I'm hoping is a first and a last, but it did turn into something where I was still able to accommodate the seller, still had the buyer intact and able to get it to closing. But that was pretty interesting and kind of crazy what has to happen with a, a deal with meth. Now you've never had a deal with meth, right? No, thank goodness. So, so this is the first time. This is, I think, the interesting thing about our job is you you get thrown in these situations and you got to help, you know, the seller, the buyer yes. negotiate this stuff, right? Yes, and this person, so the seller, I mean, you know, he's trying to represent his mother, his elderly mother who needs help, and so that was just, it's like, okay. And first of all, I gave him a big discount on commission because I thought that's the right thing to do. I'm just going to help him out. And I started, I just, like I said, I put the word out to my office to see who would come and held an open house. I think we had eight or 10 parties, I think, come through, had six offers and was able to present enough offers that he chose one. And of course, as inspection happened, then there was a meth pipe. It was a hoarder home and uh, one thing led to another. So, and the way it works with meth, this was a new one for me, but there are two types of tests and there's a preliminary test that's called a wipe test where they come in and they test the surfaces in a home, send it off to a lab. And if it comes back at a certain level that's state mandated, then it requires further testing, which is actually pretty intense testing. This one did come back at higher levels that are required, that are safe considered with a, a state. So we did, we're going to have to have mitigation, further testing, depending on the levels as they go through this clean process with meth, then it will require taking drywall out. The county will get word of it. The county will be checking on it. If the home still has things like asbestos in the drywall, it will need to be mitigated. We will have to be taking out uh, appliances in the home. Those are now going to be considered contaminated and brand new furnace needs to be coming out of the home. So there's a lot to it. But what I found out is there's there's actually a market for people that, who invest in, in purchasing meth homes and rehabbing them. Because they can get such a good deal on them and they know how to oh, navigate they, through it? 
and they know how to navigate through it. They know, I mean, they're not afraid of it, first of all, because that's, I mean, math, you hear the word math and you think, oh my word, that's what I thought anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like breaking bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. But, um, it, but it'll be a great home. It'll be something they can fix up and then turn into a home for a lovely family who feels safe. It will definitely be disclosed. All right. So uh, besides, uh, you know, doing real estate, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Um, my home, so I purchased my home last year, moved into it, and I've got a lovely backyard with a pond. Oh, nice. And I love all the plantings. So this, I'm kind of busy right now with all the plantings in my backyard. Way back a long time ago, I used to teach piano lessons. Oh, very right nice. now, I actually teach piano lessons to my grandchildren. That's pretty fun. And nice. cooking, reading, things like that. Getting out. I'm actually looking forward to warm weather. Ready for that. Yeah, this winter just seems to not want to let go here. It's been crazy. Yes. Yeah, we're going to pretty soon we'll have our own autonomous zone downtown. Right? Yes. Yes, it's crazy. I mean, I can, well, I looked at my sump pit today. I thought, all right, I got to check my sump pit, but it was fine. All this moisture. Amazing. Yeah, what do you like to plant? What kinds of uh, planting flowers? Oh, gosh, um, I've got my, I had a lot, perennials, a lot of perennials. No. I have hostas, hydrangeas. I have a lot of pines in my backyard. It's actually just beautiful. It's really pretty. I love being out in this, digging in the dirt. I love hydrangea myself. I've got a few of those in my yard. Uh, I plant in the summertime. I'm a, I do some annuals, a lot of perennials just to, to keep the work to a minimum. Yes. But I do like to put in some annuals. I love uh, coleus and uh, uh, caladium. I plant those in barrels. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, they like, they like shade. shade there. So, yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm a big woodworker as well. So, you oh. know planters and that kind of thing have a lot of fun good for you good for you okay interesting all right all right kim what are you planning on doing next you know it's been interesting because i've been able to join a group uh through home smart office that i'm i i decided i'm working with them and it's been awesome i love it it's the i love the community but i'm working with them right now getting their transaction management up and running I'll be playing a different role in that group at some point, but right now I'm doing that and that's keeping me very busy alongside of my other business. I had a very good March. I found out I had a top salesperson in March. So that was pretty fun news to see that. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, so far it's been a good year. Very good. And do you recommend a group? I've never uh, contemplated joining a group. Well, this was what's interesting. So this group of agents, and you're asking me about using CRM. The, I mean, this group of agents is killing it with business. And, they're, and they've got a business model where they've got, you know, they're getting fed internet leads. And then they're, they're I mean, I, here's what I hear is people will come into the business and they think, well, I don't want to join a team because I'm going to have to pay money to the team. But what is, but typically those people are selling one and two deals a year. And so who wouldn't want to take on CRM and get leads and be able to make a really good income? For most agents, the toughest part of, of getting th something moving is finding the business first. Right. It's not the business itself. It's finding it. And I, I just think if that's 
something you're okay with, I think it could be a really good way of doing it. So the internet leads, are they using uh, Google or Facebook or? Um, they have a, a system that feeds them called Boomtown. Okay. And it just, it feeds leads to them. I think they also do some realtor leads, but they're very, very, very busy. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So how can listeners get a hold of you? I'm Kimberly Wise Homes with, with HomeSmart. My, you could, go, you could Google KimberlyWiseHomes.com. Um, I have a Facebook presence and I'm on LinkedIn. My cell phone, my number, my main number that people call me and I talk all day long is 303-718-7128. So that's probably a good place to start. Yep. Give Kim a call. She, she'll treat you good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being on the show, Kim. I really appreciate the opportunity. You guys are awesome. Yeah, we enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was a nice uh, interview with Kimberly Wise. What a what a great gal. Yeah, a very very low key kind of person. She just is easily approachable, easy to talk to, easy to, just easy. Kind of, I'm sure easy to be around. I, I've only met her once, but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking with her. Yeah, and some of the. What do you think? Secrets to her success. What's stuck out? Well, I think for me, as a person who's in a sales position, you know, I feel like the relationship piece of of that business is a big deal. And she talked a lot about that and how she's a relationship person. And what she really enjoys is getting to know the people and really having that happy person at the end. She really enjoys the, you know, the process of getting there, but is fulfilled by that, uh, uh, by that piece of having a happy customer and then she enjoys the ongoing relationship with that person i think that's really cool that's what i like too I, I enjoy those kinds of things and i enjoy people and that that's what really stuck out to me i think success in a sales position uh, or any really part of life is all about building the relationship with people yeah the biggest thing you know that stuck out at me was I'm reading this book, uh, David Green from Bigger Pockets. He's a Keller Williams guy and everything in his book, he kind of touches back. He loves Keller Williams. And so Kim uh, got her start in Keller Williams. So I was kind of trying to understand if, if it really is such a great formula or whatever, whatever, you know, cause he was saying in this book, 33 touches per year for, a, you know, like, and that's a lot of reaching out to your CRM and, and, you know, you're in sales, right? And and it's really got to go out of your way to just touch these people. It's a full-time job, you know, getting this business. But so it was really interesting that she liked it and she thought it was, and it worked and it's successful and gave her the formula, I think, for her success. But at the same time, then she moved on and now works with HomeSmart and she loves the community there. So it's interesting, the two dynamic uh, real estate agencies there. Yeah, as someone who's not a realtor, uh, I don't know how one of those offices works or how one would expect for them to work, but it is interesting to hear the contrast. From my point of view, realtor, kind of a realtor is a realtor as far as the company that they they represent. Right, but there's a lot underneath there. How often you're supposed to be touching somebody or, or, you know, if people don't want to do the CRM thing. So the, anyhow, the agent side is really interesting, I thought, talking to Kim. But then also the real estate investor side of Kim, uh, I thought that was really neat that she, you know, entered the market at a great time, right? 2007, 8, 
I mean, right at the bottom, right? I mean, blood on the streets, you know, people are giving away houses, right? <laughs> and so anyhow, just great timing. And then she worked with an investor to do a lot of fix and flips. So she got to learn the uh, inner workings of uh, making some money in real estate there. That's good experience. Uh, being able to work with someone, she said that fellow was a contractor uh, and uh, knew right away what the cost was going to be for fixing up particular room or adding drywall or changing out a kitchen, whatever the case was. So that's helpful for sure. Yeah. And I loved her story of, of the meth house. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's, you never know what you're walking into with something like that. I mean, geez, that's, uh, that's, that's scary. And then to know that if you're going to have to replace drywall and that's going to open up the asbestos can of worms too. I mean, you just, oh, the, the and it, you know, a new oh. furnace is, you know, brand new furnace, throw away appliances, throw away like the bigger pockets guys. They're like, well, it, you know, quantify the problem, whatever the problem is, quantify it and address it, take it out. You know, and that sounds like what the investor that's buying that house did. Yeah. But they also yeah. need to know how to follow the process too. Right, right. But I think anything, anything that you come up against on a house, you you have to be able to to deal with it. But you've got to be able to make the numbers work. So anything from having a house that you walk into and it needs new carpet paint and a new refrigerator and everything's ready to go, to having a math house to just scraping the thing and building something else. I mean, all of that is doable at the right price. And just knowing what, what those prices look like is, is important. That's the, the key to the whole thing. Yep. yep. And I thought it was interesting that Kim now joined a, a group or, you know, and, and helping them get set up. I, I've just never thought about joining a group. So it's, it's just always been curious. And, and I think you'd get a lot of synergy getting, you know, a lot more leads and closing more deals and, well, I think anytime you are able to pair up with people and have a kind of mentor-mentee relationship, uh, that's good for everybody. Uh, and even if you're if you're the new guy, and you're looking to them for guidance in the, maybe in this case the real estate business, but maybe you have something to offer that those people need as well. So there is, like you say, a synergistic relationship there where everyone's bringing skills to the table, and everyone is benefiting from those skills. Uh, and I think speaking as a person who's been totally independent and also part of a larger group, they both have their, their advantages. Absolutely. I mean, I have many a time taken advantage of people who've been in the business for a long time, asked them lots of questions. They probably wish I'd leave them alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's good to do. So. Yeah, no, I like just, she's such a great gal. Uh, you know, all the other secrets to her success was competitiveness, perseverance, Tenacity, kind of the, the standards. Right. Don't give hard, up. Hard work. Um, and then I thought it was, uh, you know, the capstone is she was the, what, number one producing agent for HomeSmart this month? Yeah, in March. She's oh, like the one producing agent. Oh. So, you know, I mean, I don't know what that means. Does that mean she sold five houses or 25 houses? I don't know. Right, right. We have a lot of agents, so I, just, I think it's a pretty good number, whatever it is. I'm out to tell you, she's right though. The, the statement she made about the realtors are like cats. And every time you turn around, there's a realtor. Like everybody <laughs> I know is a realtor. <laughs> They're related to somebody. I say, I'm thinking about selling my house. And three people say, I'm a realtor. 
two people say my brother's a realtor and the other guy says my mom's a realtor you know it's just like wow uh, everybody knows a realtor or or has one so that's impressive when someone does well in the business because there is a lot of competition that's right all right doug i think we should wrap it up for the week uh any last closing comments uh i think just the the normal that stick with it we often get people get frustrated and i'm certainly among them when things are are difficult and you're kind of grinding through tough times just keep Keep your nose to the grindstone. Like she said, be tenacious. Everybody says be tenacious, but I think that's important. So, uh, and Kim is a great example in terms of that idea that there's a lot of people out there doing what she's doing. A lot of smart people, a lot of capable people. Uh, and uh, uh, she's still very successful among those people. So it can be done. And I think that's inspiring. So there's my final words. Inspiring. Thank you, Kim. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and see you next week. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life, so let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.